Hey, I want to make a little bit of an announcement this morning, uh, just to make sure everybody is on the same page. Uh, in, our, in your bulletin this morning, there is a deacon nomination form. I want to explain that process to you a little bit. We try to do this uh, each year, just so you know what's taking place. Every year, our nominating committee, uh, it's, it's, it is a very, very diligently working uh, committee that serves in our church, and one of the roles that they uh, offer to us as a church, as a part of our bylaws, is to nominate men to serve as deacons. And I cannot tell you, express to you, how important the deacon body is here. They serve, uh, they're a part of church discipline, they're a part of praying, they're a part of leading in this church. Uh, and they, they are not only friends of mine, they are, they are so important to our family. They're so important to the, the lives of our staff as they pray for us and support us. And if you have someone, one of the men in our church that you would want to recommend to serve, to nominate to serve in that role, then you can fill out that nomination form over the next three Sundays. Place that in the offering uh, over the next three Sundays, and that'll get to the right place. That'll end up with myself and the chairman of deacons, Casey Hearn. We will interview new potential candidates, and we'll present a list uh, to our deacon body who will approve that list and pass that list on to the nominating committee. And they'll pass that list on to you in August for you to approve. I know there's a lot of passing alongs and processes, but that's how things are set up here at Rich Fork if you're new with us. But it's an important part of that process for us, and we're, we're excited to do this each year. So if you've got somebody you'd like to nominate, I just want to give you that opportunity to do so. Uh, we're going to jump right back into where we were. We are in our third week of this series that uh, is called Patterned. Last Sunday, we examined a, a, a part of our time together. We examined a, a passage of scripture that is familiar to a lot of us. And, and the passage was in Mark chapter 2, there was a paralyzed man who had four friends who were desperate to get their friend to Jesus. And if you were here last week, we saw that they literally took their friend to meet Jesus. The room was too crowded. The house was too crowded. So they went up on the roof. They dug through the roof. They lowered their friend down to Jesus. And Jesus, not only did he heal him, but he said, your sins are forgiven. What Don't you want to have a friend like that? I mean, don't we all want to have a friend who's one of those four guys who would do whatever it takes in our lives? Man, I sure would like to have a friend and continue to have friends like those. Some of you have been following with us on our pattern series, and I, I grabbed one of those pictures. Somebody posted a picture on Instagram uh, of their following, and they're being a part of the pattern series. And I, they, they, they posted this little picture here that I want to show with you. I'm doing things a little bit out of order than what I gave them in the notes earlier. But she's just posting, and she just says, here's a pattern uh, of Scripture. This is my calling. And so I'm glad that you're taking this from this room and you're taking it outside of this room, that you're working through this. But last Sunday, our overall point was this. Am I desperate to bring people to Jesus? Am I desperate to bring people to Jesus? In our second and third service, I asked a question at the end of the service. I said, if you know somebody who is spiritually lost, what that means according to Scripture is this. If they are separated from God, they have no hope without Christ, the payment for their sins is death. And scripture teaches that death brings the face to us to face the biblical reality of heaven and hell. And so in the second, third service, I asked, do you, do you know somebody in your life who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ or you're unsure? And hundreds of people in that room raised their hand. 
Hundreds of people in the several, several different rooms raised their hand and said, I know somebody who is, who is without Jesus Christ, who those things are true of them. They are separated from God. They have no hope without God. The payment for their sin is death. Death brings the, to us to the face, the biblical reality of heaven and hell. And so we said, are we desperate to bring people to Jesus? And even the deeper question, do we find that it's necessary to bring them to Jesus? Do we really believe the teachings of Scripture that tell us it is a necessity to introduce people, to lower them through the roof, to do whatever we've got to do to bring people to Jesus Christ? You know, if last night if I were driving home, was over here doing some work, if I drove home and I passed a house on Saturday night and it was on fire, and I drove past the house on Saturday night and, and there's no fire trucks and nothing's going on and and I've got my phone in my pocket, and I just thought, you know, somebody will make that call. And I just kept on driving, and, and I drove by on Sunday, and I drove by on Monday, and, and still, it's just still kind of smoldering. It's still just still there, and there's nobody else there. And I told you that, you would go, why in the world would you not call the fire department? Why wouldn't you dial 911 if you knew that that house and those people were in danger? Why would you not take that step? The same is true of our friends and our family. If we know that the necessity and the teaching of Scripture is that without Jesus, they will be separated from God for all eternity, that they have no hope without Jesus, that the payment for their sin is death, then if we know that about their lives, then why would we wait week after week after week after week after week without introducing them to Jesus? And I'm not stating that simply for you. I'm stating that for me as well. If we know the biblical teaching of Scripture of salvation, why would we wait Saturday night, Sunday night, two years, three years to share the truth with them, not knowing when their time will come? Kind of a heavy way to start, isn't it? So here's what my prayer has been this, for you this week. My prayer for you started this week, last Sunday night. I was out walking in my neighborhood and, and I was thinking about all those hands raised. And so my prayer this week has not been as much for those who do not know Jesus. My prayer this week has been for you and for me as a follower of Jesus Christ that we would become burdened and broken this summer to the point that we say, you know what, I can no longer walk past that person or sit across the table from that person without conveying the truth of Jesus Christ, that I would be burdened by that, that I would realize I need to live a pattern that is worth someone following. And if I live this pattern, it's going to lead them to Jesus Christ. What pattern am I following? What pattern am I displaying? So this morning we're going to look at what does it mean if we live that pattern out in front of our family and friends? What does it mean to be a disciple maker? What does it mean to, to make disciples in our lives? It's a biblical command. It's intentional. It's a part of everything that we should be doing. So first thing we've got to ask is this. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows another person, another way of life, and who submits him or herself to the discipline of that leader or way. Someone who follows another person, someone who follows another way of life, says, I'm going to pursue that person. I like what they're doing. I'm going to follow them. And I believe everybody in this room is already a disciple maker. I believe everybody in this room is already has somebody that's following in your footsteps. So the question I believe we need to ask is, what kind of disciples are we making? 
What kind of disciples are we making with our lives? Because somebody's already following you. Somebody's already looking to you and saying, I want to be like that person. I want to follow in their footsteps. So this morning, we're going to look at what kind of disciples Jesus was about making. We are setting patterns. A disciple is more than a student to a teacher. It is more of an apprentice to someone who's skilled in the trade. Saying, I'm going to walk after you. I'm going to follow after you. I remember many of the lessons that I've learned in life, I learned from walking behind my dad in different jobs and different paths and different careers that he was on. He would take us, whether it was working in a restaurant, into the kitchen of, of a Western Steer. Anybody in the room remember Western Steers? All right, all right. I've been in a few of those in my life. Whether it was learning how to pressure wash, whatever the job was, he was always taking us as sons along with him to not just say, hey, sons, I'll tell you what, here's a book on pressure washing. No, he would take us with us to the place. He would put the wand in our hand. He would say, okay, now wash that. Don't put a hole in it. Wash that. Take care of it. I'm going to help you. I'm going to guide you along the way. That's a disciple maker and a disciple. Someone who says, listen, come with me. Walk with me. See what I do. See the mistakes. See the failures. And follow after me. So in Mark chapter 2, I think it's really interesting. Jesus has all these crowds gathered around. They're pushing in. The paralyzed man, the crowds are, are just wanting to hear more of this miracle worker, of this teacher. What is he about? What's he going to say next? What's he going to do next? To the point that in Mark chapter 3, it gets so extreme that Jesus pulls away from the crowds. He pulls away from the crowds. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, this takes place. And he went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve. Now, I didn't list all the twelve. That's what's to follow in the rest of verse 16, going down through that passage but imagine Jesus, he's got all these crowds around him, everybody's pushing in, they're saying, man, we, we want to be near Jesus, we want to see what Jesus is doing, we don't want to see the miracles, and in the middle of that, Jesus takes a group of people, and he goes up onto the hillside, and he pulls the disciples away, and he says, hey, listen, guys, I, I'm going to set you 12 apart. Jesus could have stayed on the Colosseum tour, could he not? He could have stayed on the speaking tour where thousands of people, and he goes back to that in a few moments in Scripture. But he pulls out from the crowd, he heads for the hills, and he calls for these 12 men to be his disciples. Now these disciples, they would have understand, understood the religious system of the day. A rabbi would call to a young apprentice at some point in their life very young part of their life and say to them you follow me you become my apprentice and so when jesus says to them you follow me it was a calling of callings these are grown men they didn't expect to get a calling from anybody they were going to continue in their routines and their patterns and their jobs and their career and here comes jesus and he says as a rabbi to a te- to a student he says follow me so they absolutely Jesus taught the crowds, he performed the miracles, yet in the midst of all that, he took time to be a disciple maker. Willingly calling people to follow him, 
to grow with him, to learn with him, through his successes, through temptations, through difficulties, through those that approved of the message of Jesus, through those opposed of the message of Jesus. But Jesus sat down with his disciples and he poured into them over and over and over. He intentionally loved them. Why? Because he loved them. They saw Jesus when he was weary and praying. They saw Jesus perform the miracles. They heard the accusations. They were confused at times. They asked inappropriate questions at times. Jesus walked them through that. They had doubts. A couple of them had some very serious seasons of doubts and questioning and even denying Jesus. But Jesus kept pouring. He kept giving. He kept pouring into their lives. In Matthew chapter 4, we see this account recorded by Matthew to the calling of several disciples. In verse 19 and 20, it said, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. A couple things I want us to see about disciple making. Disciple making does not happen at a distance. When Jesus began to pour into the lives of these 12, he, he did not start an online academy. He didn't upload the information on the internet and say, hey, you guys, I know you're on the other side of Galilee, but you guys, I'm sending the information to your phones. You pick it up and you read it. Now, I know online training is a huge tool. My, summer, my, my daughter has taken a summer class this summer online. She's working through that, that process. But it's a completely different process. Universities all over the world are offering online teaching. Disciple-making Believers, listen to me. Church members, listen to me. Disciple making is not an online class. It's not long distance learning. It's inviting someone into your home. It's inviting somebody into your office. It's inviting someone into your life, which becomes the class, which becomes the online training. It's right there in front of them. It is intentional. It is personal. It is the commitment from one leader, from someone who may be asking to be a disciple and may not be. But we as believers have a calling that's given to us. We're going to see this this morning. Later on in the New Testament, Paul is speaking to the church of Thessalonica and he's talking to them about the training of the spiritually immature for them to become mature. And in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, he says this, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. I want us to read that verse out loud together. I'm going to take it slow. I'll slow my pace down for you, all right? So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you have become very dear to us. That's not somebody who doesn't know the folks he's writing to, is it? That's not somebody who's standing at a distance saying, Hey, uh, you're great people. I appreciate what God's doing in your lives, but I'm going to keep myself at a distance. He said, Well, we affectionately 
desire you and a relationship with you. Why? And we're going to pour our lives into you. And we're going to communicate two things to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ and our whole lives. That pretty much covers it all. There's not much left to give besides the gospel and their entire lives. He's saying to them, why? Because you have become very dear to us. Disciple making makes people a priority. This is Paul's mentality here. We see this as he pours into Timothy in the letters that he wrote to him. He's pouring into him. He said, listen, you are a priority. We love you. We care about you. We want our lives to be a part of your lives. And this process does not need to change now 2,000 years later. It still works. It's still a priority. As we begin to pattern our prayer lives for the lost, we've got to voluntarily commit ourselves to saying, I'll be a disciple maker for the lost. It's continuous devotion. It's not a one-time event. It's not something you do once as a follower of Jesus and go, awesome, I've completed the task. I have one disciple that I've made in my life. They're following Jesus. They're pursuing him passionately. Check, I don't have to do that anymore. This happened over and over and over in the New Testament. Disciple making is also commanded by Jesus Christ. Disciple-making is demanded by and commanded by Jesus Christ. I know the passive scripture we're about to read this morning. I went back and listened and looked. Over the past eight weeks, we have referenced this passive scripture uh, at least three times that I could find. I know once by me, once by another one of our pastors, and once by a guest pastor. But this has to be for us to see. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came to, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Go, therefore, and what does it say? Thank you, young man, and make disciples. There's a young man, I don't know, eight or nine over here, just piped it up, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He has given to us the opportunity to go and make disciples. It's not confusing. It's not wrapped around in, well, what am I supposed to do once I become a follower of Jesus? Go make disciples. Well, how does that look? Baptize them and teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. Well, how do I do that? Go make disciples. Well, what do I do next? Baptize them and teach them everything that I've commanded. It's a continual process. Jesus not only modeled intentional disciple making, people were a priority but it was up close. It was a part of his life. Jesus said, follow me. Become a part of my life. I will make you fishers of men, but you're going to have to stay close to me. You're going to have to see the things that I do. Walk with me on the path that I walk. See the mistakes that I make. Not Jesus, us. See the difficulties that I encounter. Every follower of Jesus is commanded to be a disciple maker, a pattern maker. We're saying, listen, I'm going to live my life according to Scripture I'm going to follow Jesus, and I want you to follow me as I lead you to Jesus Christ. A beautiful example of this disciple-making happening and confusing the disciples happens in John chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. It's a a familiar passage to many of us. Uh, It's one of my favorite passages to preach through. I don't have that long to work through this passage, so we're going to kind of condense the story this morning. But in in John chapter 4, we're going to see disciple-making take place. We're going to see it planted, and we're going to see the disciples 
totally confused by what's going on. Because disciple making, we're going to see it breaks racial barriers, it breaks religious barriers, it breaks all the rules of culture, but it does so with truth and compassion. Jesus is traveling with his disciples. They travel into Samaria, a region that was not a very popular region for Jewish people to go to. It was racial divide, religious divide. For these Jewish guys entering into, crossing through Samaria, Jesus said, we have to go through Samaria. So they go through Samaria. Jesus finds himself. He sits down by a well. A lady comes to the well. Not a popular conversation. Not a a popular mix there, cultural mix there that's taking place. A Jewish rabbi teacher sitting down, having conversations with this Samaritan woman. The disciples have left. They've gone to get some food. Jesus talks about water. He talks about the living water that will never run dry. Jesus is personal. He is speaking to the physical need, but he's also speaking to the spiritual need. Then at one point in verse 13, it says this, And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This conversation gets really interesting in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. That's a pretty good summary, isn't it? I haven't shared that with you, but you perceive it. I, I, I think that you are not the average guy. But notice what Jesus does. He begins a relationship with her through this conversation, through this physical need conversation that she is coming to seek water. He transitions that into a spiritual conversation. It is loving and it is painfully truthful. Engaging people, he engages her with this information. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being there, having this ongoing conversation? He's Jewish, you're Samaritan, he's a male, you're a female. He's talking about quenching the physical thirst, uh, spiritual and physical thirst, and you're over here thinking about the physical thirst, and he says to you in the middle of this conversation, go get your husband. Whew. And she says, that's not me. And you can imagine... This lady who had come to the well by herself, the guilt, the shame, all the emotions come welling up. Jesus begins and continues to teach her. He continues to pour into her. He doesn't ignore, he doesn't shun her and say, oh, you've got sin in your life, I, pff, see you later. You've got a difficulty in your life, go find somebody else to disciple you. Jesus pours into her. Disciples come back. They're totally confused. They have no idea what's taking place here. Jesus is setting an example for them. He's setting an example. Verse 39 goes on to say, so the woman leaves and she goes back home to her town. 
Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. There's a town news flash. Everybody else already knew what you've done. And now she's proclaiming it through the grace of God. She's proclaiming it back to them. So when the Samaritans came to him, so now they're all coming out to meet Jesus. They asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. He didn't just say, hey guys, I've got to go back to the crowds. I've got to go back to the miracle moments. He said, no, they've asked me to stay for two days. And so he came to the Samaritan village. The scripture says he had to go see the woman in Samaria. This was not a happenstance. This was intentional. He goes to this village. And what is it going to say? And many more believe because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. This is the one. This is the savior of the world. Now, I know two days is not a lifetime, but Jesus saw people a priority. And when they came to him and said, would you hang out with us for a few days? Would you spend time with us for a few days? He did. Why? Because he was intentionally leading people to himself, to grace and to freedom. And it was time with those people. And the disciples were learning. They were watching. You see, we always focus on the John 4, the Samaritan woman and Jesus moment, but imagine what lessons were being taught to the disciples from the disciple maker Jesus. They're going, wow. You mean this message that he have is for people of all races? You mean this message that Jesus has is for people, male and female both? It's not a popular teaching then. You mean he's willing to go in the middle of the Samaritan people and convey this message and spend time with him? Yes. And Jesus is setting the example for them. He's saying, I'm setting the example as the disciple maker. You are my disciples. Let's watch. Learn. Grow. Again, the Great Commission instructs the disciples to make disciples through teaching through the authority of the teachings of Jesus. And in doing so, I believe what's taking place here is the instructional would become transformational in their lives. Now, I went to seminary about 20 years ago, somewhere along that lines, and I learned a lot of great information. But no seminary class can prepare you that a week into becoming a pastor, you have to do two funerals. One for somebody who was a senior adult had been faithful to this church for her entire life. And one was a child. You don't learn that through instruction. You learn that by being transformed, by living and watching and seeing and being apprenticed and being made a disciple through someone who's a disciple maker. And Jesus is showing them later on, they're going to be persecuted. They're going to speak to people of all different races, all different tribes, all different backgrounds who'd gather together in Jerusalem. We've already been to Samaria. We've seen Jesus do this. He was setting the example of taking the information that he was pouring into them and then showing it to them, transforming their lives to become disciple makers. Because here's the amazing thing. If we pursue disciple making full of teaching the truth of God, disciple making is teaching the truth of God's word in its entirety. 
Disciple making is teaching the truth of God's word. That's a part of the Great Commission. Make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Not part of, not a piece of, all that I've commanded. Pour that into them. Pour my word into them. And you're disciple making. Because here's the results. Paul says in Ephesians. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful, schemes disciple making is modeling jesus who was instructional who was teaching and this passive scripture says listen disciple making if we teach god's word and its fullness what is it going to bring about ephesians 4 tells us unity in the church of the faith knowledge of the son of god maturity stature in the fullness of christ We're no longer going to be children and our faith is not going to be able to be tossed back and forth by the temptations of this world. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what happens when we see someone come to Jesus Christ, becomes a disciple of Jesus? We want all these things to happen in their lives. We don't want them to stay where they are. We want them to become what Ephesians 4 is outlining for us. Are not these Maturity, unity, ministry of reconciliation is another example in 1 Corinthians. Humility, forgiveness, confronting sin with compassion and truth. Are those not the very things that all the world and many people are clamoring and are missing in our culture? Unity, maturity, reconciliation, humility, forgiveness. Now this Tuesday is July 4th. And we could do a lot of things to honor the great country that we're a part of this morning. Uh, Undoubtedly, in this room, there are people that have strong feelings regarding where we are morally, politically, financially, all those different things in our world. And as I was praying through this and working through this and reworking through this, I figured out the one thing that I can do to be a part of change and a part of bringing freedom back into the lives of people in the United States of America. I can become and continue to be a disciple maker. So pastor, that's really simple. That's overly simplistic. That's not going to change policy and that's not going to change the White House. That's not going to change this person or that person or this politician or this way of thinking. But if I become a disciple and remain a disciple maker, And I say to people, you follow the pattern that I'm setting as I follow Christ and I lead people to Jesus, it will transform homes in our communities. It will transform lives of people around us. It will introduce to people around us forgiveness, love, maturity, reconciliation, joy, truth, and compassion. Why? Because we've seen that in Jesus modeled for us. 
I believe one of the greatest gifts that we can give back to the country that we have for which we have the freedom to do this on a Sunday morning is using that very same freedom to make disciples outside of this room. I was hoping for a couple of amens, but maybe I've put you to sleep already. Listen, we're not preaching this series this summer just because we want to use our breath. But we're declaring transformation in our communities, in our homes, in our networks of caring for the aging, the forgotten, the spiritually lost needs of the body of Jesus Christ. Those who claim to follow Jesus, if that's you this morning, you claim to follow Jesus as your Savior, then you're commanded to become a disciple maker. If you are claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are commanded to be a disciple maker who is an intentional, who is personal, who is not at a distance, who will teach biblical truth into the lives of those around us. It was stated in our resource this week, Jesus is too big, he's too good, he's too life-changing for us not to be bursting to share. But one area of concern that we've got to address as believers is our lives. Are we prepared spiritually for becoming a disciple maker? Since we have these promises, we read in 2 Corinthians, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to the completion in the fear of God. We are a chosen people, a called people, a holy people, and we are called to examine our lives to say, before I say follow me as I follow Christ, let me examine my life. Is there anything in my life, before I begin to speak to you about the grace of Jesus Christ, let me examine if that grace of Jesus changed behaviors in my life that are leading me away from him. Disciple-making is concerned for making sure disciples know how to study the Bible for themselves. Disciple-making is responding to frantic text messages in the middle of the night from somebody that is a part of your life or an email that somebody has sent you. Responding to those text in those emails at times it's it's saying the spirit of god has laid that person on my heart again and i'm going to reach out to them they've been distant for a while disciple making it is messy it is intentional it is personal and it is commanded of every single one of us in jesus christ disciple making is patiently listening to the same story and somehow offering encouragement disciple is growing into a relationship with someone deep enough to the point that we can confront their sin hear the rest of this deep enough that we can confront their sin we can weep with them in forgiveness and then we can rejoice in their cleansing not just a piece of that to go man i'm going to blast that person for their sinfulness no for us to, as disciple makers, to say, this person is following me as I follow Christ. There's a sin in their lives. I'm going to grow close enough and deep into them that I can carefully, compassionately, as modeled by Jesus, introduce and ask them about a sin in their lives. And then I'm going to weep with them. I'm going to be broken with them. And I'm going to rejoice in the forgiveness that's offered to them. Disciple making is messy. Disciple making can happen in your living room in your office break room, at the end of your workout, in your workout place, in a coffee shop, in a retirement community, in a nursing home, sitting across the table from your children, or sitting across the table from your parents. Disciple making is intentional, it is personal, and it is 
commanded for each of us as followers of Jesus. It's a pattern that we are commanded to set. So this morning, I want to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands like we did last week in the second and the third, but are you currently a disciple maker? The answer to all of you is yes. The question is, what are you making? What kind of disciple are you making? Are you intentionally making a disciple that is following the teachings, the commands of Scripture, to go to be baptized, to make disciples? Are you a disciple maker? And you say, Pastor, I don't know where to start. I, I, don't, I don't know who I should start with. The person that you thought of last week when I asked you in the message to list two or three people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, start there. Start with those closest to you that God has already placed in your life. Are you a disciple maker? Let's pray this morning.